you have your Bibles for a few minutes tonight, uh, John chapter 15, John chapter 15, and I preached on uh, Jesus the shepherd this morning, talked about sheep, but I want to talk about uh, Jesus the vine tonight, Jesus the vine, and I've titled this message simply, Stay Connected, Stay Connected. I had another title, it wasn't it wasn't that good. I, I wanted to go with the vine is divine. <laughs> I thought that's so cheesy. Forget that. Let's just go with stay connected. Amen. Amen. Stay connected. Aren't you glad you're in a good church? Amen. It's a great church. Amen. Good pastors, good people. And I want you to know something. You cannot take for granted what you have in this place. Stay connected. The church isn't your salvation. We know that. Jesus is the vine. Jesus is our salvation. But there's something special about having a good church. Don't, let, don't, don't, get, don't get distracted by all the, the other things the churches are doing here. You have the real deal. Amen. Stay connected. Let's look at John chapter 15 and verse 1. Read through verse 8. It says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Again, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray this evening. Father, we thank you, God, that we can come into this sanctuary be in the presence of God knowing that you're real knowing where two or three are gathered you're in the midst of us tonight you're here to speak Lord and minister to every heart Lord we come with an expectant heart and we open up our hearts and our minds Lord to receive minister to us and speak to us we pray have your way Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus and everybody said Amen, amen. Jesus here in this passage of scripture, in, in John chapter 14, we have the Last Supper. These are the last moments of Jesus' life. And we're coming into John chapter 15, and uh, these are some of his last words. So obviously, these words carry uh, great weight. It's, they're very significant. And Jesus begins to impart to them this revelation, this spiritual revelation that would actually sustain them because he's thinking beyond the cross, they're thinking about the present moment, but he's thinking beyond the cross for them. So he wants to give them something that will help them. They're going to face persecution. They're going to face some very difficult times as they leave that place. And so he wants to give them something that will sustain them and give them life. So the first thing that I want you to see tonight is in the power of relationship. In Costa Rica, and in Latin America, and in Africa, and different places, in Kenya, I know this is true, there is a saying, and it's who you know. It's who you know. 
If you want to get something done, you got to know somebody. Unless you want to go through all the red tape, stand in long lines, and wait for a long time for something to get done, unless you know somebody, and you might have to grease some palms along the way, amen. The ends justify the means. I'm just kidding. You do what you got to do, but it's who you know. And there's power in relationship. I remember down in Costa Rica, I want to share a story. I, I think I've shared it in the past, but... Uh, we adopted from Costa Rica. We've had our baby from the day that she was born. My wife was there in the delivery room, and she was born at 9.44 in the morning, and by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we walked out of the hospital with an infant baby. That's unheard of, especially in a foreign country with a child protection agency like Pani. Is that what it's called, Pani? Yeah. I mean, ask Carla. Next to impossible. The year that we adopted, there, were only, there was only one other international adoption besides ours. Two people, us and one other person. And we walked out of the hospital. You say, how did that happen? God orchestrated that thing before we ever got to, before we ever got to Costa Rica. God knew that I was going to meet Pastor Blake on the basketball court. He orchestrated it. It was a plan. We didn't see it. Amen. But God began to unfold this wonderful plan for our lives. But long story short, we're there in the hospital and the the biological mother of course she uh is ready to deliver we're thinking what how are we going to do that we were very concerned because what happens is if if uh when the baby's born the government agency takes the baby puts it in a foster home that foster home begins to care for that baby until the adoption process is done and so you might get that baby more than likely at two years maybe three it, t it took us uh, two and a half years to get this adoption done and so we we're fortunate enough to be able to uh, have have our baby during that time during that process of adoption but we're in the hospital and uh, Blake and Carla are there with us and uh, we're praying we're believing God we don't know what to do and the we had the one thing that we were banking on was that the lawyer of the hospital would sign a release form that would allow us to take the baby now, you got to realize, next to impossible, but we're praying. So we're waiting for the lawyer to come to the hospital. And uh, we're sitting there in the waiting room, and uh, we had been waiting for about two or three hours. They said, the lawyer's on the way, and we're thinking, man, what are we going to say? How are we going to say it? How can we convince her? Um, our, our lawyer, uh, he wasn't really worth nothing, to be honest with you, <laughs> and we got rid of him later. But uh, so the lawyer finally walks in however we didn't know it was the lawyer but this uh classy woman walks in she's dignified she's dressed nice and she comes walking by and carla sees her from what i remember and all of a sudden like two schoolgirls from high school they run over and they hug each other and they begin talking spanish 90 miles an hour i didn't understand a thing they were saying but they were they were excited they were saying how have you been oh my gosh it's been so long since i've seen you it was like a nice little reunion and then we found out that she was the lawyer of the hospital and carla went in and explained the situation and she was able to sign the release form and that's how we walked out of that hospital that day with an infant baby. It's who you know. We know her. Amen. <laughs> she knew her. Amen. I could take it one step forward uh, further. We, uh, 
We've got a guy in our church that played in the NBA. He used to play for the Utah Jazz, played for the NBA Nuggets, uh, I mean the Denver Nuggets, and I think the Golden State Warriors. And uh, every year he calls me up and he says, hey, do you want some tickets? And he, this has been since the late 80s, since he was in the NBA. But he gets us tickets. And one year he went with us. And uh, at the end of the game, we walked down to where the, where the tunnel was. Uh, he hugged the, the security guard. It was the same security guard from when he was there. Walked us right into the back, into the tunnel. When the, when the players came back out, we were getting autographs. I was with my nephew, uh, Evan, and we were getting pictures with him. It's who you know. Amen. So the power of relationship. Jesus said in this first verse, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. So if there's a true vine, then obviously there are other false vines. Amen. Years ago, a missionary in Africa lived in a remote part of the jungle with no electricity. And after several months of being there working without any electricity, he writes a letter back home and uh, he puts in a request from the mission board and says, I, I really could use a generator. So they send a generator along with some other supplies that finally gets to where he's at and he strings up a light in his hut and he, he takes that light and it hangs down, puts a light bulb in it. And when that light comes on, the Africans, the, the natives there had never seen anything like this. Never seen electricity. They walk in there. They're trying to touch the light bulb. They're getting burned. They're swinging it back and forth. They're excited. Everybody's taking turns. And so he has this light. Well, some time goes by, and another uh, person from a different tribe comes in, and he sees that light, and he's just fascinated by this light. And he says, do you think that you could give me one of those light bulbs? And he had several light bulbs, and he's thinking, well, you know, he just wants it as a, a trinket and take it back. And so he says, yeah, and he gives it back to him. And he goes back to his his uh, tribe and his village where he lives and he takes a string and he hangs that string up and he ties it to the light bulb but nothing happens the missionary comes by to visit and he sees him and he says what are you doing and he says well I, I can't seem to get the light to work and then he explains to him well you got you have to have a power source in order for the light to work and the same is true for us unless we're connected to the true vine there's no power amen there's no power i went to starbucks amen before i came here I, to get some caffeine get some power amen and there was and i saw two muslim girls there and the ornery side of me wanted to ask them uh how do you feel about isis cutting the heads off of christians and rochelle was like no 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 don't go just you know don't don't make a scene here uh maybe i should just present the gospel of jesus christ but m let me tell you something islam is a false vine there is no life. As a matter of fact, to the contrary, amen, it's death. Amen. It's a religion of death and no life. Muhammad is, is dead. He's, he's not resurrected from the grave. But there are many false vines. Can you say amen? Buddhism, Hinduism, Mormonism, all the other isms are false vines. Even in Catholic circles and evangelical circles where there's an emphasis on self and works, there's no life. There's no life. In chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No other man, no man can come unto the Father but by me. This is why we say it's not religion. It's relationship. I mean, that's me. I'm just messing with the sound, man. <laughs> 
who you know. It's who you know. Amen. We have life-giving, sustainable power. And this is what Jesus is trying to relate to his disciples. That if you stay connected to the vine, you'll have life that produces fruit, life that produces results. Verse 5, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And this is relationship. So if Jesus is the vine, and we're the branches, and it says here, I believe in verse 1, that the Father, or God, is the vine dresser or the gardener. And I believe that some Christians read it like this. I am the true vine and my father is the genie. Oh no, because see, we don't want a gardener, father. We want a genie. We want something that we can take the Bible and we can manipulate, manipulate a little bit the words of God and we can name it, claim it, and frame it, amen. We can blab it and grab it. We can do what we need to do, amen, and take this word of God because we want a genie God. We want a God that'll poof. All of a sudden, there's a miracle. We want a, a sudden God. We want a now God. And that's okay. I believe in the suddenly, amen. All through the Bible, you'll find the suddenly. In Acts chapter two, suddenly, there was a, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Suddenly, there was a miracle. Suddenly here, suddenly. But sometimes the gardener, amen, there's a process that takes place. A gardener God. Amen. Think about this. They've left the upper room. And at the Last Supper, Jesus is talking about his kingdom and the position that they'll have sitting on the thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now they're following him through the Garden of Gethsemane. He's saying the time has come to establish the kingdom. And he's walking along and he sees these grapes and this vine. He's a master illustrator. He, Jesus, if anybody could tell stories, it was Jesus. And paint a picture. And he grabs these grapes from this vine. And he says, you see these grapes and this vine? The way this vine and the way this vine produced this fruit, this is the way that God's going to grow his will and his purpose and his plan in your life. He's talking about him being a gardener. You know, I want you to know something tonight. If we treat God like a genie, you're going to be extremely frustrated. If we live by the prosperity message, amen, and you're supposed to have a Mercedes Benz and you got a, a beat up Volkswagen in your driveway, and you're wondering, man, do, do I not have enough faith? You're going to be extremely frustrated. Amen? Hallelujah. I believe that maybe they didn't understand at that time what Jesus was getting at. But in hindsight, after the cross and after his ascension to heaven, all of a sudden it begins to sink in that what he accomplished at the cross and everything they now had to face, the life and the struggles and their destiny, it all flowed from the vine. Their salvation flowed from the vine. Their source of peace, it flows from the vine. Our financial blessing, it flows from the vine our provision our freedom from addiction it flows from the vine the source of life of every christian flows from the vine and the cross of calvary and i want you to see something tonight the garden or the gardener as i said mentioned before we're in the process i'm not a gardener i don't know a whole lot but i know pastor marshall he can tell you all about garden he's got a greenhouse 
in his backyard. He brings, he brings, I, I always, I'll send him a text. You know, he, he put a picture one day on Instagram of, of all his vegetables on his uh, counter. And I put a text on there, be sure you pay your tithe. Bring, bring me some, amen. And he, he makes the hottest jalapenos and he gets a kick out of, you know, taking these young men. You think, you, you know, you think you can handle this? And, you know, so he grabs all these people around. And he says, just take a bite off the tip. And, and it's just the funniest thing. Everybody starts laughing when that person's face turns red and they start sweating and looking for water. Uh, here's a man that knows how to garden. I don't know how to garden. Amen. I'm the type of person that puts the seed down in. Six hours later, I go back out. Nothing's growing, so I dig it back up to see if it's still there, see if there's anything on it. Gardening is a process, amen? Hallelujah. It's a process. We're all in, in, in this process where God is growing us, but as long as we're connected to the source of life and God is the gardener, something good is going to come out of it if we stay connected. Now look at verse 2 tonight. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus is telling the disciples and telling us today that sometimes in order to get bigger and better fruit, he's going to have to cut back some things. Cutting doesn't feel good. I had to go to Wikipedia to really get a good description of pruning. And I'll read that to you. Pruning is a horticultural, silvicultural practice involving the selective removal of parts of a plant, such as branches, buds, or roots. Reasons to prune plants include deadwood removal, shaping by controlling or directing growth, improving or maintaining health, reducing risk from falling branches, preparing nursery specimens for transplanting and both harvesting, and increasing the yield or the quality of flowers and fruits. The practice entails targeted removal of diseased, damaged, dead, non-productive, structurally unsound, or otherwise unwanted tissue from crop and landscape plants. If that's not a good description of what Jesus has to do to us or God has to do to us, I don't know what is. But watch this. Jesus didn't say that he would cut off the branch. He says that he would cut back the branch. Because we sometimes think that God has cut us off. Cut off implies that you've lost your connection or you've been set aside. Cut off is when you continually refuse to remain in God's love. That's what cut off is. Amen. God's love is unconditional, amen. However, if we separate ourselves from the love of God and we decide to do our own thing and go our own way and turn our back on God, then all of a sudden we're cut off from God. But in this process, understand that many times God is just cutting us back. Hallelujah. So Jesus didn't say the fruitful branches got cut off, but God has a bigger plan. What may seem like a setback is really God getting you ready for a bigger miracle. Amen. It might be painful. We might be saying, where is God in all of this? Why is God allowing this to happen? Amen. We went through a financial setback some time back where our house flooded in the basement. I'm thinking, why? We had just gotten back from Panama. Why is this happening? We didn't understand why. I mean, all kind of just, it was just like one thing after the next, one thing after the next. But in that, God had a bigger plan. We ended up with a $14,000 check. Amen. 
We carpeted our house. Amen. God blessed us. God has a bigger plan. Being unfruitful isn't easy. My wife was barren for 12 years. That was one of the reasons that we adopted. We had waited seven years. We were down there in Costa Rica. God gave us a child. But there was that, pro that time where I'm telling you what, it was the desire of our heart to have a child. When we first got married, we lived in a little single wide trailer and life was good. No kids. It was, it was exciting, man. Hey, man, we took a, one, one night, uh, it was about midnight and I'm, I'm the, she's the very organized, planning, OCD type person. Amen. Everything is in order. I'm the fly by the seat of your pants. And those kind of relationships actually work pretty good for some reason. And one night at about 12 midnight, I said, you know what? Let's go to Las Vegas. How far is Las Vegas? It can't be but like three or four hours. And then I, I started looking on the mass and mapping it down. And I said, this, it's like 12 hours from now. Do you want to go? She's like, yeah, I want to go. Yeah, we were still kind of, you know, young in the Lord. So, amen. <laughs> so we left at 2 o'clock in the morning. We got in the car at 2 o'clock in the morning, locked up the house, drove for 12 hours straight, and got to Las Vegas. And so we're checking into this motel. We take our, our suitcases up to the, to the top and, and uh, I said, you know what? I got one quarter. On my way back, I'm just going to drop one quarter in this slot machine. I dropped it in that slot machine, and I pulled it, thinking nothing was going to happen. And all of a sudden, clang, 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 clang. The light starts going off. Man, I see these cups right there with holes in the bottom. I'm thinking, what in the world? And I start scooping all these quarters, amen, into this cup and walked away with $60. Showed up at the door, knocking on the door. All I did was go back down to get some more luggage. I walk back up to the hotel room. I'm knocking on. She opens the door, and I'm standing there with like four cups of quarters. She's like, what in the world? And we took that money, and we went and ate at the Hard Rock Cafe. Amen. <laughs> and we were newlyweds. We were young, man. And, and life was just starting out for us. And, and, and you know what? I wanted six kids. I wanted six kids so I could have a basketball team. Five with a sub, amen, in case one got hurt. And she's like, you're crazy. I said, I want, I want a big family. I want six kids. And then two or three years go by. And we ain't, I mean, every year is like it, the number just got lower and lower. And finally, I was just like, Lord, could, you, could I just have one? Amen. Could I just have one kid? And in that process of time where we were unfruitful, we didn't realize that God had a bigger plan. The pain and the confusion, the doubt many times, uh, the frustration when other young couples were getting pregnant, when other young couples were getting pregnant, pregnant out of wedlock. And here we are, we're trying to do right. And we can't. And so in this season of unfruitfulness, God was pruning us to bear bigger and better fruit because he sees the bigger picture. Amen. And it may be painful or frustrating, but if we stay connected and let God prune us, he's faithful, amen? Now we have two beautiful daughters, a 15-year-old and a 7-year-old, 14-year-old, sorry. Uh, fourth point, I want to finish with this. If we're not patient in the process, we'll miss the reward. In this passage of Scripture, in John chapter 15, the word abide, which means to remain or to stay, stay, stay with it abide remain is used 10 times in other words it's saying don't give up don't give up and God says if you don't quit I won't quit stay with it and I want you to know sometimes it can be monotonous 
Sometimes going to church, it's a great church, amen, but sometimes we can get comfortable in things and things can become monotonous. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, here we go again. And, and I'm just telling you, it's, that's life. It happens. And sometimes God has to stir up the fire, stir up the gifts inside of us, reignite that flame and that fire. And I want you to know that if you resist the monotonous, you might miss the miracle. If we're not patient in the process, we'll miss the reward. The story of Joshua and when he takes Israel into the promised land, the first city was Jericho. God gives them specific instructions, says you're to march around this, the walls of Jericho seven times. Amen. For six days, you go one time, six days. On the seventh day, you're going to go around seven times, and at the end of seven times, you're going to blow the trumpets, and you're going to begin to shout, and the walls are going to come down. What would have happened if in the monotonous of going six days, they stopped on six? They never would have saw their miracle. Another good example is, um, was it Laman? No, I, I, the, 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 the leper. Laman? Naaman, Naaman. I don't know why I'm getting that mixed up. Naaman. And he goes to the man of God, and the man of God says, uh, it was uh, uh, Elisha, he says, go down to the river Jordan and dip seven times. It was the dirtiest river. Here he is. He's a Syrian captain. He's a man that's important. He's a general. He's a man of importance. He finds out that this man, Elisha, uh, can do miracles. And Elisha never even comes out of his house, and, and uh, Naaman, he's offended by that. And then on top of that, he tells me to go down to the Jordan River and dip myself in the dirtiest river of the land at that time, seven times, not once, seven times. And somebody says, why don't you listen to the man of God? Get off your high horse. Do you want to live forever with uh, leprosy? Or do you want a miracle? Do what the man of God says. Amen. So he goes down to the river, goes down once, comes back up leprosy all over him second time goes down six times now if he had stopped on six in the monotony of doing what it was he would have never got his miracle but he went down the seventh time and i'm saying that to say this we need to if we resist the monotony the same old same old coming to church and we say you know what i'm giving up on this church i'm i don't i'm not getting my miracle i'm not getting what i need or i'm going to give up on god i've been praying for this situation and god doesn't seem to hear me or he's not answering if you give up and you miss it you'll miss the reward amen. amen of course we know the rest of the story they marched and the walls fell and they conquered the city don't stop on six don't stop on six amen jesus said i am the true vine i am the way the truth and the life our only hope for peace and for sustainable power is to stay connected to the vine, to the cross of Jesus. Continually put your faith, not in a set of rules, not in religion, not in your own works, but to continually on a daily basis. Jesus said, if any man desires to follow after me, let him take up his cross and follow me daily. Take up that cross. You got 24 hours in a day. Did you mess up today? Somebody may have. Amen. Every day we're going to have, be bombarded with these thoughts and temptation. We live in a fallen world. It's a wicked world. It's all around us. You can't hardly turn on your phone or the internet or the radio and hear some kind of uh, filthiness. But thank God for 24 hours a day. The Bible says his mercies, mercies are made new every 
day. Take up your cross daily. Didn't say take up your cross on Sunday. Good Lord, we need it every day. I'm a, when I wake up tomorrow and I have to face the world and, and make decisions, godly decisions, I want to take up my cross. I want to deny myself and I want to follow him. Can you say amen? Stay connected to the true vine. Simple message, I know. Simple message, but if we take it to heart, it'll help us. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. In reverence to God.